I made promises to God. Okay. When he blessed me with this role, I told him I would not sit in this role and just be comfortable. I This would not be about me. This would be about helping people I may never meet. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, part of my platform was justice and equality for all. Good. Right? Not based on who you are, where you come from, how much you can afford to pay for a lawyer. And so I promised God that I would show up as my authentic self in this space. I am on a journey to discover, uncover, and recover love. Life is about helping others. Dear future wifey has been doing exactly that. You stated that women are to present and not to pursue. It has given us a, a roadmap on how relationships were meant to be by God. There are still black men who love the Lord and their end goal is marriage. Thank you for teaching me how to stay lit, how to be intentional and transparent. You read your, your letter, I cried. I just got married two months ago and I'm listening to the podcast so I can stay married. I'm Lateris R. Whitfield and this is season four. These dating streets on the Dear Future Wifey podcast. Welcome to the Dear Future Wifey podcast. I'm your host, Latera Sar Whitfield. Listen, we are on the road to 100K subscribers. So why don't you share the podcast? Hey, but before we get started, are you still shacking up with us? Come on, man. This is the fourth <laughs> season. If you're still shacking up with us, come on, let's make a commitment. Hit that subscription button and subscribe. You know, um, a lot of you have been stepping up to the table, making donations to Kingdom Royale. Uh, we're still on the mission. We want 5,000 subscribers to donate $20. So listen, thank y'all so much for all y'all that have been stepping up. I'm so grateful. Uh, we're gonna change the trajectory of these African-American young males that are in the foster care system. So keep doing the good work. Well, today I'm so excited to have my buddy on the podcast today. <laughs> Uh, we're going to have fun today. We're going to keep it lit uh, where we live intentionally and transparently. So without further ado, welcome to the Dear Future Wifey podcast. My homie, Judge Amber Givens. How hey. you doing, girl? I'm doing well. How are you, friend? Man, you know, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while. <laughs> Here we are in season four, and I finally have been blessed with the honor yes. of having you on the podcast. Yes, I've stopped in to bless you a bit. Thank you so much. And, I, and, I, and I'm here <laughs> humbly submitted to the blessings that you're going to bestow <laughs> upon me and the viewers of the podcast. So um, we had an interesting conversation. Um, first of all, we're going to keep it lit. About uh, Back in 2020, you and I went on a date. We went on a date. A date. Uh, we call it a date of just friends hanging out. I was a date. Say, so we went on a date. Mm. Uh, yeah, we went on a date about twice. Um, so I mean, I did something right. So we went on a, a date twice, and um, but one thing I found about Amber is that she's so focused on her purpose that she doesn't have time to connect with her purpose partner. And so what we're gonna call this episode, Amber, yes. is purpose-driven love. Ooh, that's deep. Yeah, because it seems like you know from the outside looking in, mm -hmm. you are so focused on everything that you're doing as a judge that you just really don't have time for love mm. and your and your your purpose um is your love and you've fallen so deeply in love with your purpose that seems like you don't have time to entertain relationships i i do believe that god has given me a purpose and i i am dedicated to that mm -hmm. um and i do think it takes priority right now yeah it does i have a lot of uh homegirls they may be dating guys and they'll say that 
guys, they look at it sometimes as an excuse that guys say, listen, I ain't got time for a relationship right now. You know, I'm, I'm focusing on building my business and I'm right. focused on my career. <laughs> and I say, that's a really legit thing. You know, before Adam was connected to his purpose partner, Ben Eve, God right. said, I need you to go name these animals. Right. And so he had to go first, do the assignment that was set before him in Amen. order for him to be qualified for uh, a relationship. So that's where you're at right now in your life. You know, and I think that people don't know what that looks like when it's coming from the other side. Right. From a female side. Right. I think you you get judged. Right. Um, because you have a purpose that takes up so much of your time that um, that really is your love. And so for me, that has been the experience um, being in this field. I have chosen this field, despite the fact that the criminal justice system actually changed my life. Okay. Uh, I decided not to run from it. I decided to run toward it and work on changing the system itself. Um, I was impacted as a family member of someone that was incarcerated. And at a very young age, I was grappling with concepts of bond and why my mom would put our house up, mm -hmm. you know, as, um, as security for my brother's bond and what that meant if he didn't show up because I knew he had a drug addiction issue. And so um, it really changed my life. And it's funny how parents can make the most toxic things seem so normal. Yeah. You know, the visits we would go on because, you know, when your family member is incarcerated, rarely do they assign them to a unit close to your home. I know you'd be driving. You're driving forever. Yeah. Uh, and so my mom made this, these trips seem so normal. And now I look back at the Polaroids and I'm like, wow, God is parents. God gives you all this gift, <laughs> right? You all have this gift of making abnormal things fit into a box and, you know, things don't spill out. And yeah. so she did the best that she could. And it was something that I didn't even recognize until recently. Like, that's not normal to go to the penitentiary on a regular basis. And so in that time, what, what, what city or state were you living in? I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. So that was back in St. Louis. Yes, my hometown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, man, so let's, let's, let's go ahead and go back. When did this purpose, you said that it was connected from way back when. Yes. How old were you during that time when you were taking these trips to the penitentiary? Gosh, um, I believe the first was, I was about eight. You were about eight years old. Do you yes. remember those times? I do. I do. So what did you think these trips were? Where do you think your brother was? Did you understand the concepts of jail and imprisonment at that young age? And that's the thing. Even though my mom made the trip seem normal, right? Because she spoke a lot about us supporting him. Okay. Right. And so I knew we were going to jail and I remember always being very nervous when we would get there because, you know, even at a young age, I felt like I didn't want him to go through the strip search to have to come see us. It would make me very nervous, very anxious. Um, and so she did tell us where we were going and really, you know, she was upfront about that. She didn't hide that because my brother had, you know, a drug addiction issue. And so my mom was very clear on that. And that's why I've never actually touched drugs myself because I saw how it impacted, you know, my brother's life and took essentially took control of it at that time. Yeah. Same with my brother, my brother, I haven't seen my brother in about 20 years now, mm. uh, strung out on drugs. And, uh, so I do a lot of work with the homeless because I, feel like if I'm feeding 
the homeless that hopefully someone is feeding my brother. Mm. You know, uh, so that's been my strong connection with the homeless. And so, um, so fast forward. Yes. When did you get the passion to say, I want to be in the criminal justice? Like, what, 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 when did that happen? When was that mm -hmm. shift? So, yes, actually at Tuskegee. Yeah, one of my professors who happened to be big time lawyer, he started trying all those cases with Ford and the tires, Goodyear and the rollovers and things like that. But he was from Tuskegee and came back to Tuskegee to give back. And he taught this intro to law class. And he said the law was created to keep you as chattel. So you have to master mm. it. Mm. And I thought, wow, I'm going, I'm definitely going to law school. And and it was in law school that I realized how much work needed to be done in the criminal justice system. And I thought, you don't get that work done. You don't achieve those things from the outside looking in. You have to be in that space. Right. And, you know, initially I was nervous about being a prosecutor, you know, based on my background. Yeah. And thinking that, you know, family members would think that I was a sellout. Yeah. Um, but they actually encouraged me. Like that's where all the power is. That's where the discretion is. And people with different life experiences need to be there. And so it was really a culmination from the very young age of my life literally changing because I think people forget when your loved one's incarcerated, it impacts you. It's not just them being removed from you. It's all the things that happen based on their removal from your life. Yeah. And so it was the culmination of that to the, you know, my professors at Tuskegee and the love for justice that they instilled in me. And then the really finding purpose in pain for purpose me. Pain. Yeah. And so, which has led to a purpose driven love, you know, yeah. and it's funny how, how it's turned out that way, you know? Um, but it's something I go to sleep thinking about. I wake up thinking about, and I'm just so grateful that God has given me the opportunity to be in this space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, being in this space doesn't come without challenges. Right. But when you but when you started off, what so you started off as a prosecutor? What what yes. state were you in then? I was in New York. You were in New York. And mm -hmm. how many years were you there? Uh, I was at the DA's office there for a little shy of two years. So you went from St. Louis and then what the next stop was you went to Tuskegee. So I went to Tuskegee and then I went back home and I served in AmeriCorps for 11 months and I was in one of the inner city schools in St. Louis. I wanted to make sure I gave back because I knew ultimately I probably would not reside in St. Louis. So I went back to my hometown mm -hmm. and I was a part of AmeriCorps and I got paid like a dollar and 10 cents an yeah, hour, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was one of the most fulfilling things I could ever do with my life in that year between undergrad and law school. And so going did that for a whole year, I did that for a whole year. Yeah. Mm. It was amazing. Uh, the kids, gosh, you know, they're so hopeful despite the challenges that they faced. Um, you know, not being able to have school books to take home. Mm -hmm. We didn't even have enough paper to print for them to take assignments home. Um, but they showed up every day, you know, and I was able to create a student government association with them. We oh, had a wow. senator in every grade. Right. 
was so cute. The kindergartners like getting up and saying why they want to represent their class. And the vice president was the fourth grader and the president was the fifth grader. And we did so much in the community, you know, just really wanting them to feel a sense of pride and where they came from. That's good. You know, and I created a cheerleading squad. You know, you can talk to little kids. Oh, my God. Let me tell you about the suicides and everything I taught them. Just wanting to teach them about responsibility because you can talk at kids. Yeah. Right. But it's something about an activity like cheerleading that teaches them discipline. So, you know, initially they would grumble if they came in late and they knew they had to do the phantom chair or some suicides. Right. And so, you know, fast forward a month and they wouldn't even say anything. They knew they were late and they knew they owed it to their team. Yep. They owed it to their team to be on time. So they would put the bag down and start running the suicides. You know, them accountability. Yes. Yeah. 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 So were you a cheerleader back in the day? I, I was captain of my cheerleading oh, squad. Yes. Sorry, okay. CHS, right. you know, Clayton High School. Okay. Look at you. She said, <laughs> I'm going to go and use all my skills. And so you went from there, uh, went back there. And then that's when you went to New York. Yes. That's when I went to Syracuse for law school. And then you stayed there for how long? Gosh, so, you know, the funny thing about law school, you know, it's three years typically. Right. And so it was three years for me, but I went knowing that I could afford one year of law school. I took out all the government loans I could take out. Yep. And my mom took out a second mortgage on her house. Really? And we literally, you know, we prayed. I was like, God, but law school's three years. So, you know, how are we going to do this? And, um, you know, God. Every time I look back on the challenges I've had in life, God has always been present. I've never been in a space where I was by myself. And so he told me, go, we're going to handle it. We'll make provision for you. And when people, people would say, okay, so you got to figure it out. No, I got one year, but you know, we're going to figure it out. I'll give them a year to figure out the next step. Well, and the funny thing is there was this TA ship. And when I tell you that, probably over 4,000, 5,000 students apply for these four spots. There was a full ride. There was a, a stipend and medical insurance that came with these TA ships. And so I call to Syracuse. Now, I haven't even started school yet, but I call, right? And I'm like, it's always a no if you don't ask. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So I call and I said, yeah, so I, I read in this brochure about this TA ship and I want to apply. And the lady said, baby, you haven't even started school yet. And let me just tell you that over 10,000 students apply for these spots. So, you know, good luck. And I said, you know, I appreciate that. I'll be seeing you next semester. Right. And so fast forward, I applied and I got one of the four TA ships. Four. One out of, one out of the four I received and thousands of students applied. And it's just like, God is so God, faithful. Man, that's nobody but God. Well, first of all, so we got to shout out your mom because this is the second time you said she's taking out a second mortgage. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So she did it for she, your brother. She did it for you. It's something about <laughs> when you have a great parent that's willing to sacrifice, sacrifice. because she sees Oof. the vision. You know, um, and shout out to shout out to your mom for that, man. That's yeah. amazing because she, she is said, an amazing Ain't woman I do for my baby. Right. <laughs> she is an amazing woman. I mean, you know, whenever I think like she was born and raised in, you know, St. Louis in the 40s. Mm. Um, and so she didn't have a lot of the opportunities that I have. And so every degree I ever got, I got two. Yeah, because we earn those degrees together. Yes. So when I got my degree from Tuskegee, she has a copy. When I yeah. got my degree from Syracuse, she has a copy because I didn't do that alone. Talk about it. You know, talk about it. 
Talk about it. So you're you're in New York. Um, you're a prosecutor. What was some? What was the biggest thing you learned from that side of the law? How important it is to be present in the criminal justice system, even if you never think it will impact your family, because it truly does impact all of us. You know the from the elected officials who are making the decisions. I mean, we're watching that on TV now, how important these roles are. Yeah. Um, and so I had never been in the system in that sense before yeah. I had been the family member who had observed yes. what the system took from my family, but I had never been in a position to be kind of um, uniquely positioned to know how it worked on the inside, yeah. you know? And so how did that, what, what caused the transition from New York all the way to Dallas, Texas. Gosh, God has a sense of humor. No, you had another pit stop. Did you come? I did. Dallas, went Houston, no, right? I went to Houston first. Went to Houston, I went yeah. to, but God has a sense of humor because I would have never thought that I would be in Texas because I actually applied for law school in Texas. But my first, my first choice was Syracuse, um, and so yeah, God has a sense of humor. He, we made a pit stop in Houston. I was at the Fort Bend County DA's office for three years, and God literally made a pathway for me to Dallas. And when I say that, you know, at the time when I was ready to transition, because I had done a lot at that office, um, I wanted not only a more of a challenge, but a bigger paycheck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dallas is one of the highest paid offices, DA's offices in the state. And so um, God had me at this uh, seminar and I'm sitting at the seminar with this individual and it's several of us at the table, but it's this one man who is just like so disruptive the whole seminar. He's telling jokes. He's laughing loud. It is his own jokes. And I'm thinking, man, I wish he'd be quiet because I'm not learning. Right. Come to find out he's the first assistant at the Dallas County DA's office. You never know who you're sitting at the table with. Right. And so we end up exchanging information. And when they had a position available in Dallas, I interviewed for it and they offered it to me on the spot. And it's just, you know, it's funny how God will set things up for you, you know. And even when I found out I had the interview, I didn't even research the office really. Like I knew a lot about the office that they were committed to criminal justice reform yeah. and things like that. And that Mr. Watkins was making, I mean, great strides in yeah. that. He, I mean, doing, doing amazing yeah, work. Amazing job. And so, but I initially, I started researching apartments and I thought, why you have a job in Houston, you have a, you know, place to live in Houston. Hold on, who are you saying that was making jokes? Was, was that my boy it Heath? Was, yes. Heath Harris. Lord Jesus. <laughs> Heath from Lubbock. Yeah, yes. Heath, that's my, Heath. That's my boy. I mentor his daughter. And oh, so you know. I'm close to their whole family. So can you imagine? I was, like, I was thinking, I was like, who would first assist? That had to be Heath Harris. Can you imagine him at the table? Oh, he, he's a nut. He's he is. A nut. That's I, my boy. When I tell you, the presenter kept looking over at our table, and I was like, it's him you know so yes it was that's my he boy. that's my boy <laughs> yeah. yeah so um i i started researching apartments and as soon as they offered me the job i went and signed with one of the apartments i researched because it's like i don't have time to come back to dallas for this right yeah um and god literally just even from there you know he put me in a position to run for office and i never anticipated 
you know, being a politician or or ever even leaving the DA's office because I felt like I wore a cape every day to work. Yeah. Like I'm the superhero. The Supreme Court has told me my job is justice. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a cornball like that. So I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm excited about that. So, you know, I never saw myself in another role. You never saw yourself in another role. So mm -hmm. what made you, so what made you run for judge? Man, you know, it was really the reason why I came to Dallas in that Dallas was leading the way with the conviction integrity unit and things like that. I think they had a show on own Dallas DNA, yeah. right? Where they were highlighting the work that they were doing, um, testing the rape kits and things like that and finding that people had been wrongfully yep. convicted. Yep. And so it was that commitment because I was assigned to a caseload for maybe two weeks and I get a call from a victim and the victim is like, you know, I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and the case has been indicted, but there's never been a court date. And you know, when you're being recorded on a telephone conversation, it was very clear to me that I was being recorded because it was election season and Mr. Watkins was up. Right. And so I asked the victim, can you just give me some time to do some research? Let, let me find out what happened. Cause I just got the case. I did my research and found out it wasn't an isolated situation. Mm. In fact, there were like over 150 cases similarly situated where there have been indictments, but no court settings. And that was the judge's job. And, you know, I thought, wow, somebody's got to do something about that. And for me, I'm ducking and dodging like messages that God's giving me. I'm like, nope, it's not me. You thinking about somebody else, you know, <laughs> I'm not from Dallas. Mm -hmm. I, you know, had lived here long enough to run, but you know, not from here, whatever. Um, I had even been told when people thought I was thinking about running that my hair was offensive. I had a very tight, coily afro. Um, and so all these things I thought, well, actually, if those very superficial things are things that they think would keep me from running, probably means I'm on the right path. Mm. So you looked at you looked at the negativity as positive. As a positive, yeah. And because I knew it was rooted in purpose. Right. So for me, you know, I think God creates spaces for you to do his will. And it may not be what people think it will look like for you. Yeah. Right. Because people have certain expectations for your life that don't necessarily correlate with the will of God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he will prepare you for the places that he's going to take you. Talk about it. You know. And so for me, it was even if it's just to highlight what's going on and then it will change great but you know god had other plans he kept putting people in front of me that had no reason to help me you know no reason to write a check for me you know no reason to connect me to someone else and so you know he blessed me and i got over 65 percent of the vote the very first time i ran for office that's what i'm talking about congratulations queen thank yeah, you that's amazing thank but you came with some negativity and uh you went viral have you? <laughs> yeah. you so you know the funny thing is in speaking about that for me i made promises to god okay when he blessed me with this role i told him i would not sit in this role and just be comfortable i this would not be about me this would be about helping people i may never meet yeah right because you know part of my platform was justice and equality for all good 
right? Not based on who you are, where you come from, how much you can afford to pay for a lawyer. And so I promised God that I would show up as my authentic self in this space, right? And with that, you know, we started talking about my curly, tight Afro. I decided one day, you know, I really like shaved sides. Shaved the whole side off. and then all, what- all the way around is shaved, all the way around. And, you know, I'm showing up to work as myself. I wear makeup, um, you know, I love makeup. What, judges don't normally wear makeup or something. I don't know. It was part of the criticism, so you know. <laughs> they said that they, so yeah. the criticism was that Judge Amber Givens wear makeup. Well, it was my purple lip because I, I will wear a nice purple <laughs> lip, and I I was rocking my shaved sides. But for me, it was more about you know there is someone whose liberty is at stake, who's presumed innocent. Right? We're in a trial. There is a, a life. Uh, that was lost. And so focus on that. Then right. Focusing on my makeup. Then, and, and right. Hair. But then, you know, and I didn't know it was happening. Right. I had no idea what was happening. I allowed, you know, press is always allowed in the courtroom, but not necessarily cameras. Right. Okay. And so I had gotten together with them before the trial because I knew that a number of stations were interested in the case and I didn't want it to be a distraction, though. You know, and so decided on one camera and they would share the footage. And I didn't realize at the time that they were going to be streaming on Facebook Live. Oh, right. So not only was it playing on the TV stations, but it was also playing on Facebook Live. So you had a lot of interaction. You know, a lot of people were watching all over the world. And when the verdict, when I I received the final verdict from the jury, you know, I'm back in my chambers preparing to speak to the jury because once they're finished, I go back and release them and, you know, give them their work excuses and things like that. Talk to them. And I'm, I'm getting all these dings on my phone and it, it's DMs. And I'm like, I don't DM like that. But it it's when I tell you it was going down in the DMs, like hundreds of DMs. What were they saying? Hope you know that we love you in the virtual court world. And I was like, what? Oh, you didn't even know. Yeah, because you didn't even know you was on. I didn't know it was on Facebook Live, right? So I had no idea what they were talking about. And then I had friends texting, like, do you know people have been watching your trial this whole time? I was like, no. I mean, you don't live in Dallas. What do you mean you've been watching it, you know? And so, um, yeah, it became an issue because I think in society, we have this idea of what people who serve in certain roles should look like. Yes. And if you don't fit in that box, it can be offensive to people. Yeah. You know, forget your substance, forget your character and what you bring to the table, right? It can be offensive, but because again, I made God this promise of how I was going to show up and what I was going to do with this position that He gave me. Yeah, I said, you know what, you, we won't be focusing on the negativity. What we're going to do is use this because there are little girls watching. Yes. Right. There are little girls watching it and they are hoping that someone believes that they can achieve one day, no matter where they come from, no matter what their socioeconomic status is. So I'm going to use this as a tool to teach children to show up as themselves and be OK with that. So, yeah, I mean, and that's how I look at really each of these challenges and really more so, you know, God never said that the weapon wouldn't form. He so said the prosper. weapon wouldn't prosper. Talk about it. You know, and I know that my God works in and through every situation. Good and bad. Right. He didn't say, I'm just going to use the good stuff. Yeah. You know, he said that for those that love the Lord, right? 
he uses all things for our good. And so, you know, you talked about challenges. So recently, you know, I've experienced another situation that I know God is using. Because you're running for re-election. Yes, I'm running for my third term. Uh, in Texas, you know, terms are four years. So essentially you're running every two years. Okay. And again, knowing that he has put me here to do a certain work. Um, recently, you know, we were all watching in horror after George Floyd's murder and the resulting protests, like the things we learned about our neighbors, our yeah. coworkers, you know, in that season. Um, and as a judge, you know, I was watching Facebook and I was watching people and specifically here in Dallas attorneys calling the black protesters animals and subhuman. They were saying that on, online? on Facebook. Goodness gracious. And so, you know, as a judge, you can't comment on that. You're not supposed to comment on that. Right. I saw I saw some folks commenting, but I thought even if I could ethically comment, you know, for me it was a bigger thing, right? What I saw immediately was these are attorneys that we're using county dollars to pay to represent all bodies. But if you don't think someone's a human. Exactly. And how can you, without bias, represent said people? Right. How can you protect their constitutional rights? And, you know, in America, the Constitution says that you it doesn't matter if you can't pay for your own attorney, you get an attorney. But if you can't pay, you don't get to pick your own attorney, right? So it hit me that the onus then is on judges who are the ones that decide who can be on the appointed list to get these cases of indigent people. And I thought, you know, well, what, what is a judge can I do? Because you can't legislate from the bench. Yeah. Right. But I knew that there was still a serious responsibility that I not just sit silent about that. And so, so I mean, what could you do? Well, what I learned, we have a thing called the Texas indigent defense plan and even commission that kind of reviews your plans on how, you know, how you process attorneys applications who want to accept these appointments of people that can't afford their own attorneys and things like that. And I called to ask like in Texas, is there a County that is addressing an anti-discrimination type deal? And, the head was like, no, we don't have a policy like that anywhere in Texas. And it was initially just focused on social media. And then the, the head that I was speaking to said, well, I really think you should go beyond social media because he had just gotten a call about an attorney in San Antonio that said something extremely offensive about a judge's coordinator. He said, I, I really think it should encompass their behavior at work, outside of work, wow. you know, not only their social media presence, but their words and their deeds. And so I just started working on policies. I'm thinking New York had one or, or, you know, California and they didn't. So I'm just doing research. I come up with a policy. I presented it. Ultimately, uh, it took me a year to get it approved, but wow. I, yeah, it, it took me a year, but I, I was able to get it approved uh, by my colleagues as a whole. And so we've implemented it in the Texas indigent defense plan for felony cases in Dallas County. And it's the first of its kind in the country. And I say that because mm. I've always looked at it like, 
God has given me this position and it's not about, does this impact me directly? Yeah. You know, it's about, I've been that family member. I understand what it's like to not be able to afford an attorney. Right. And what is fair for all. Right. And so, you know, in doing that, you know, I, it's like shaking up the room. He sure are. I bet you right? people don't like you when you have to doing stuff like that. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, to be quite honest, that's what we owe everyone. Yeah, of course. Right. We owe everyone, no matter what you do for a living, you owe everyone that you come into contact with that you will influence in the future to make the space better than what it was when you found 100%. it. Right. That's why, that's why we vote for y'all to right. cause change. And if right. you're not doing that, then what, right. what, our vote really don't matter. Right. <laughs> right. And so with that being said, I have been attacked recently and I want you all to hear it from my mouth because I have given quotes to the newspaper. You've heard my attorney speak, but I absolutely did not do what I'm being accused of doing. I was on the telephone, you know, and I'm having really my Obama birth certificate moment right now, but I'm not going to fold under misinformation. And I think it's important that you hear that from me that I am still committed to creating change. I will not allow it to silence me. Actually, it's made me even more committed, right? More committed, understanding that this system needs to be changed. Committed in the sense that, man, I've always talked about the presumption of innocence. Yeah. But yeah. let me tell you from this stance. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's hitting a little different, ain't right. it? Right. <laughs> understanding, you know, and appreciating if you weren't doing something right, they would not be so bothered to attack. Right. And so, you know, I'm not going to let that separate me from the seven years of work that I've been doing to serve you all on the bench, you know, beyond the anti-discrimination policy you know, I've created an anti-forum shopping policy and there's, gosh, so much to talk about with that where, you know, in 2018 and not this current DA's office, but another uh, administration, I found out that the police department was essentially determining when to file cases based on what judge could possibly get the case. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and there was a whole report done where, you know, someone admitted to it from the DA's office, but I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about this administration right, right now. This was back in 2018, but it's in writing, you know, that I could not be manipulated and they didn't want me to have a certain case. But with everyone that's charged having a presumption of innocence, you too should have a judge who's fair and impartial, right? 100%. So my seat's been hot. And it's been hot because I believe that this isn't about me sitting in the seat and feeling very comfortable. Like, oh, I'm, I'm fine, you know? It's about me keeping that promise to God that I would show up and do his work the way he wants me to do it in a space that historically 
has, you know, and especially in Dallas, because, you know, we've got our exonerees and you buy your tickets yeah. to their events and their books. And that's great. But the same prosecutors that wrongfully convicted them are still <laughs> at the still, courthouse. Yeah, they still work. They still they're still at the courthouse. They're defense attorneys now. So <laughs> the same people in that space. So we have to make sure that we're not just buying the books and buying tickets to events. You know, but that we really are requiring change in a system that we know has historically been broken. And see, I think it's it's just it's like where do people go for this information? Like to even what you just said, I was like, wow, that's that's interesting. I never even thought about the people that were wrongfully like you just don't know that then you see that they're still working to even look yeah. that up and go, Oh, yeah. I want to know if they're still running. Are they still running for this? Are they still, well, what, and, what they do with their life at that point? And I didn't know it. Christopher Scott is one of my good friends. He is so, you know, he is one who was also found paying in his purpose because he was exonerated. And now that's exactly what he's helping other yeah, people helping with, other right? He's helping other people who were still wrongfully convicted, who were still imprisoned. Yeah you know, get their day in court. And so I applaud him for that. But the person, the prosecutor that wrongfully convicted him is a defense attorney <laughs> who, who walks those hallways each day. And so you, when you think about it that way, you think, wow. So this is a foundational issue, it is. right? And, and just showing up to work doesn't change anything. And so that's why I say, I won't let these false narratives separate me from the work I know God has me here to do because in the seven years I've created a program to reduce recidivism. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. My empowerment program. Yeah. And you know, when you're running for office, people ask you all the time, what program are you going to create? And it's to me, it's kind of like candidate pride, right? Because yeah. you've never been a judge. So you've been one. Yeah. And so I wanted to really know, well, what, what are people going to really need from me? I don't want to create a program just to say I have one. Yeah, no one right. Cares. Right. This is not useful. <laughs> right. And so I sat for six months and watched like, wow, people are failing on felony probation. And it's not because they want to, it is literally because they don't think that they deserve access to resources. They don't think that they have anything to offer to the community or that they're a part of the community. And so with this program, it's a 10 month supplemental felony probation program. And we work on career advancement, life skills, community involvement, um, and educational opportunities. And so, you know, that you can say you have certain values, but for me, it's the action, you know, and so creating that program, I've graduated over 200 people. And when I tell you that I was invited to a high school to a GED graduation, young man finished the program, but was still working on his GED. And he called and invited me and he didn't think I was going to show up. I show up and they're in the back because, you know, they had to do their processional. Yeah. But his wife sees me and it's like she actually came. She comes and sits next to me. And when we finished, when they finished the program to watch his little girl, they were taking pictures. She runs up to him, takes his cap off and wants to put it on her head. And she's like the way she's looking at him is like her hero. Yeah. Right. And I start thinking, wow, we are creating generational change here. And then to find out that his wife then enrolls in the same program 
and is getting her GED, you know, and this GED program provided childcare and everything. And it's a partner that I was working with the Aberg Literacy Center. And it, for me, it's about creating that bridge between the courthouse and the community, right? Because we have resources in the community that can help. And when people succeed, we all are better because of their success, you know? And so that's one program. And another one, you know, for me, I think information is power. And so demystifying the criminal justice system for people, you know, people didn't care about the grand jury until Michael Brown's murder yep. in St. Louis. Yep. Right. What is a grand jury? What yep. powers do they have? So then that way, when you get your summons yep. for grand jury service, you're like, oh, you I need to show at, up. You don't look at it as a headache. You look at it as an honor. Right. I need to show up because I know that this is important. And so the word of mouth series was birthed because of that. Because I see the family members coming into the courtroom and not understanding, or even the jurors who get summonses who don't understand why it's important that they're there. Because we need a good cross section of the community to be in these spaces, yes. making these calls. Um, and so for me, again, it's been, you know, this purpose based on the trajectory of my life starting from a very young age. And so it really has shaped how I sit in this space, how I operate and show up every day in this space. You know what? You didn't got me tired. I don't even know how somebody could even date you. You got you. <laughs> Lord Jesus. What, when would you even have time to even do anything to even hang out with a guy? I mean, we could. Do you date? We could volunteer together. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what you do. He sit there and help you type up some work or something. I don't know. I mean, my goodness, like you. And this is over the last eight years. Mm -hmm. So the programs I'm telling you about the, and I didn't even tell you about the crime prevention program for youth pipeline of possibilities. Yeah, that, that's, um, that was a big one. Yeah, that's huge because we know, and based on my experience in AmeriCorps, I know that they use third grade reading scores to determine how yep. many beds they need in prison. In prison, yep. Right? And so uh, making sure that we disrupt the pipeline from the schools to the prisons is so key. And so Pipeline of Possibilities is a program that um, I work on with three other judges. And we go into the DISD schools that have the highest rates of incarceration. And we teach the kids about the criminal justice system. And so, again, it's not just about words. It's about understanding that as a judge to me, to my community in Dallas County, I owe you more than just showing up. I owe you to be authentic in this space. And if that means that I have to disrupt the norm and the status quo and be uncomfortable, um, because I think it's the, it's that feeling that births some of the, the best blessings, right? Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, we're celebrating tomorrow, yeah. right? And it, it wasn't, you know, all roses, oh. right? He literally, I think sometimes it's the fire the, and the, the things, the challenges that you face that creates the greatest triumphs, you know? And so um, that's how I see this. This is an opportunity that God is giving me to walk in his purpose, walk in his will and change something not just talk about changing yeah. it but be a part of that change and fostering that sometimes is going to come with some pushback it's gonna come with some negativity it's gonna mm -hmm. come with some challenges it's gonna come with some mudslinging yes um 
y'all had to pivot during the pandemic. Yes. Uh, and I actually enjoyed it because now you had your own <laughs> your own court TV show. Oh, Lord. Because I was watching on Facebook, and I'll be on Facebook, and I'll be like, oh, Judge Abra Givens Court is on. <laughs> and it just popped up in my timeline, and I yeah. started watching it a lot. And, uh, man, my heart broke for this one guy. I forgot mm. his name. I had typed it up, and I mm -hmm. said, please, I got to help you. I gotta, <laughs> I'm going to help you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And uh, I tried everything in my ability to try to reach out and help him, and it just didn't. It yeah, didn't quite work. Yeah, we we had to pivot in the pandemic. Um, you know, March of 2020. Looking back at that, you know, we're thinking, oh, you know, in a couple of weeks, yeah, we'll, be, we'll be able to resume normal activity. And the Texas Supreme Court started rolling out the emergency orders and expressing to us that we needed to be virtual. And they even they bought. Um, actually the office of court administration bought zoom accounts for every judge in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. Right. And through zoom, Dang, I should have stock in zoom. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> Who knew if you had only had a crystal ball, um, but you could stream through Facebook or YouTube because we still have to comply with the open courts act. Right. Yeah. And so even though physically you couldn't be in the courthouse, which how many people were taking off work to come to the courthouse <laughs> to watch anyway. Know, right. Yeah. But you were able to see, you know, that my court was still open, that we had not stopped, you know, but for me in observing the emergency orders from the Texas Supreme Court and doing what I was required to do. Um, but in addition to that, the public safety concern, making sure that I don't expose people, they don't have to come into contact with people if they don't need to. You don't need to come into contact with the sheriffs unless you need to, or opposing counsel unless you need to. Um, trying to keep people safe. And so right now we're still operating virtually because the Texas Supreme Court has still given me the authority to do so. And you know, now that we're on the red level, it's just, I had an attorney this week who had COVID, but wasn't sick enough where she didn't feel like she could log on to Zoom. And we didn't, the process wasn't delayed. The case wasn't delayed because she was still able to be at work virtually yeah, at via Zoom at yeah. home. And so for me also, it's the transparency, yeah. right? Like I have nothing to hide. I want you to observe my court proceedings. And actually what I found is that people have told me that they really are more, you know, committed now. Oh yeah. It, it, it did that for me. It's like, I was watching it and I was like, this is real. Like, cause you know, you watch court TV, you don't know right. what's real, what's, <laughs> what's fake, fake or whatever. Right. But I know judge Amber Givens and I'm like, Oh, this is some real court. And when I tell you, you don't play no games. You, no. you, you kind of got me a little scared. Like, Firm I was like, but fair. Oh, yeah. I was like, I was like, she's trying her best to help you. She's hard, but she's helping you. And it just, just wasn't yeah. clicking. Yeah. You know, because some, it depends on where you find people yeah. in, in life at that time, right? Because I actually, I keep little sticky notes on my um, computer at work. And it's just times where I need inspiration, right? And so people will come back to me and be like, oh, I did not want to go to that drug treatment program. I was mad at you, but you <laughs> changed my life, Judge. And so I write their names down. I write the date down. And whenever I am searching for some type of inspiration, I will flip through those. That's good. It, and it's just... That's good. You, you have to, That's you know, good. you have to do that. You have to find inspiration in other people's success, right? Because it's not just about you. And so I do that. And so I love the fact that people are able to watch the court because I think 
when you all, when we open back up, you know, and we, we can try more than one case a month. Cause right now we are limited to one case a month wow. per court. Right. Um, you all are going to feel differently when you get your jury summons yeah. because yeah. you, you understand and you're more in tune with what is happening in the system. Well, it was, it, it was too emotional for me. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I'm not built for this because when I was watching it, I just want to help everybody. So, <laughs> so when I saw the young dude, he was like 19 or something. He was mm. young and he was making every excuse in the world. And I was like, man, come on, let me help you, bro. You don't want to go down these, you don't want to go be caught up in a system like that. And if you can get a hold of it right now, you can change the trajectory of your life forever. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? But he just was like, I don't know. I don't know this. I don't know. I was like, come on, man. Like, you got to do better. And it, it was just breaking my heart. And I said, I can't. I was all in the chat. I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to help you. Somebody, can y'all put me in contact with him? I'm going to help yeah. him. I, and, and it was just, it was too emotional. I, could, I mm -hmm. couldn't do it. I, I, I watched a couple of other ones. Uh, some stuff is extremely funny. And then, and then some stuff is extremely emotional. And I just said, I can't, I can't mm -hmm. do it because I'm a, I'm an empath. So my whole thing is like, I'm trying to help everybody. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it bothered me. Um, you have an election coming up. Yes. Early voting. February 14th through the 25th. Valentine's day. Yes. Show me some love at the polls. And then the actual election day is when? March 1st. Yes. With a lot of people not, like, people be skeptical a lot. They be like, they feel like they vote don't matter. They feel like, yeah, oh you know, this is, you know, how can you encourage people to actually mm -hmm. get out and vote and, vote and understand the gravity in mm -hmm. that vote? Well, I would say initially, at least in Texas, this last legislative session, if you didn't feel like your vote mattered, mm -hmm. you should have because yeah. they were trying to do everything to yeah, you know sure to make sure exactly yeah. to make sure it couldn't count yeah taking away super soul sunday taking away longer voting hours like why is it bad that people have more access to go vote you know <laughs> and don't have to use vacation time you know oh, so crazy. um but i also think voting has to be personal to you right and so you know i think oftentimes it's not for people they think oh if i make it to the poll i make it if i don't and you have to, I think we have to share our stories more, you know, about why voting is so important to me, to you. And for me, voting is, is personal because when I was at Tuskegee, you know, we were in a political science class and literally the local NAACP president rolls up on our poli sci class, comes in and asks our teacher, hey, what are y'all, what's the subject matter today? happened to be something about Dr. Martin Luther King. She said, this is perfect. We all need to get on the bus. We're going to Selma. We're like, we're doing what? <laughs> Sel like Bloody Sunday? Selma? Yeah, oh, yes. uh-uh. And so, you know, this is before cell phones. So we get to call our parents and, you know, tell them, hey, you know, last minute, we're kind of, we're going to divert from class to Selma. And my mom was like, go, just don't get locked up in Selma. Alabama okay and so we get there and they're talking to us on the way there and they're telling us that Joe Perkins is running against Smitherman who was in office when yeah. Martin Luther King uh, was marching and he called him Dr. Luther Dr. Martin Luther Kuhn that same man was in office in 2000 and Joe Perkins black man was running against him and people were being turned away from the polling locations, like access to the polling locations. The weirdest things were happening. A polling location just wouldn't open. <laughs> right. 
I'm telling you. And so they needed students to help people get there. And I, I couldn't understand. I said, like, what do you mean get to the front door? We get there. And when I tell you that there were men standing at the front door of the polling locations with like 10 leashes of dogs in their hands. And you have these older black women who were trying to walk up but are too afraid to walk past them with the dogs. Tell me they was doing that in, in your life. They was doing that in your life. While in you my in lifetime while I was in college. And when I tell you that there was this older woman who we got her to the door almost like four times every time. I, I just can't do it. I just cannot do it. emotionally. I just cannot do it. And for her, it was because she was remembering all the yeah, things that happened with dogs. PCSD. She's yes. She's deathly afraid of dogs. And they knew that. Right. And so, you know, getting them to the polling location that day that that changed my life it really did because i'm not going to miss an opportunity to vote because i know that people lost their lives you know and people are mm. it's just voting is such a serious matter and so for me you know perkins won right so when i tell you we got on that bus so fast and got back to tuskegee because we thought that a riot was about to break out but feeling like we made a difference in that moment. I said, wow, that's why, that's why voting, you know, it has to be personal to you. You have to relate to the fact that that wasn't always something that yeah. you could just do casually. Right. Man, I thank you for sharing that story. I've talked to you a lot and I've never heard that story. That story is powerful. Very like much so. That, that you talking about an hour lifetime like that, that, Mm -hmm. It's hitting a little different right now. It's it's, it's amazing because we do take those liberties very casually. Yes, and uh, you know, and I've taken them casually at, in times, even with presidential elections in the past. I'd be like, man, my vote. These people, uh, mm -hmm. no matter, these people, you can't win. You know what right. I'm saying? And then and then since then, I'd be like, I'm gonna vote. I'm I'm a I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be accounted for. Right. And so I take my happy cell phone down there and, and, and I make sure that I vote and I can't wait till Armani uh votes because yes. he's, he's he's eighteen now, so we're gonna be standing oh, yes. in line together and we're gonna do that. Uh but voting for you, you have to live in Dallas County, right? Yes, all of Dallas County. You said all of Dallas County. All of Dallas County. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well good. So that works then. Yes. All of Dallas County. Mm -hmm. Go out and vote for Judge Amber Gibbons. Yes. Uh so man, any uh anything you want to say as we wrap this episode up? You know, it's interesting. You've given me uh quite reference of as always <laughs> I call you every time I talk to her, I'll be like, Are you in a relationship yet? Are you dating yet? She'd be like, No, no. I'll be like, girl, okay. All right. All <laughs> now right. you know I'm busy. Yeah, you know, you're, you're extremely busy. So we right. you just it's and it's good. You know what I'm saying? It's it's beautiful. And so in these dating streets, you run into people and different seasons of their lives mm -hmm. and 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 as long as y'all have healthy interactions uh right. we've always been great friends yeah. uh but have healthy interactions and you understand it and you just you just support them in whatever they're doing and move right. on right. uh and what was so dope i was telling armani i was like um i was like yeah judge amber gibbons coming and she, he was like oh i did her video that's yes, when i he, shot her video yes. i said yeah he said man that's cool that's cool <laughs> you know he got really excited about that and i was like that's cool because he can actually say as mm -hmm. a, as an 18 year old young man senior in high school 
I worked on a campaign video for a judge. Yes. And right. when I tell you that people love your video, Man. that video is so heartfelt. You know, I looked at it and I said, I'm going to vote for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm voting for me too. <laughs> yeah, right, you know? <laughs> yeah, man, that's dope, man. That's dope. So Yeah, I would like people to visit my website. Um, Armani's video is there. there it's it is. embedded on actually my homepage. That's dope. Um, but www and um, learn more about me, the different events that we're having and hosting. Um, and Donate. Keep, yeah, don't. Yeah, they can donate. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, Click they can donate. on the donate button. Yeah, donate. Sow a seed. Do something. Yes. You sow it in good ground. You Let know me what I'm saying? You, so the max you can donate for this primary is 5000 Go crazy. There it okay? is. Okay? <laughs> go. Lose go, it. Go max, Lose max, your mind. Max out. Max out. <laughs> you know? So, yes, click on the donate tab. Click on the volunteer tab, even. Yeah. And, you know, back to the donations, no amount is too small. Of I'm course. grateful for every dollar. You know, I think that's one thing that former President Obama taught us. $5. $5 makes an impact. I'm okay? Don't you. sleep on $5. So, click on the donate tab. You don't have to live in Dallas County to donate to the campaign. Exactly. You can be anywhere in the world and donate to the campaign um and even if you're local but you're not a dallas county resident you can volunteer yeah you know so we're yeah. block walking we're doing all sorts of things and we want to make sure that we get everyone engaged in this process the last day to register to vote for this election is january 31st okay yeah so yeah, that's good so yeah this 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 episode will drop uh before then so that'd be absolutely great well listen amber it's been yes. such a pleasure um, on your Instagram, what's your Instagram yes. handle? Oh, my Instagram handle is at Judge Amber Givens. There it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been great talking to you. Uh, always a good time catching up with you. I agree. You, you're, you're one of the most authentic people I know. That's the reason why we Thank rock. You. That's the reason why we cool. That's the reason why you're my buddy is because <laughs> when we talk, we chop it up. Yes. Uh, and um, I just love your spirit. I love Thank what you. God is doing in your life. Thank um, you. I love that you're a fighter. You know what Thank I'm saying? You're you. not going to fold easy. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I ain't built for this political stuff. Like, I'm just not <laughs> built for it. God knew that's not my ministry. Mm -hmm. Don't be out here campaigning and spreading lies about me. Like, I, <laughs> I'm not built for that. I just don't function well under that. Uh -huh. uh, I work on people's campaign videos, and that's about as far as it goes. Uh, but yeah, I believe that you have to be built in such a unique way uh, to be able to weather the storm and the purpose that you have and the love that you have behind that purpose is what motivates you and makes you, makes you uh, willing to stand in the midst of adversity. And so I'm proud of you. Thank I you. honor you, Queen. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Uh, I pray that you reign victoriously. Yes. Uh, Amen. Over this and uh, you reclaim your seat. Amen. So it is. It. Yeah, yes. Yeah, you deserve it. So uh, y'all give it up for my buddy, Judge Amber Gibbons. Thank y'all. Ladarian thrusted suddenly into Child Protective Services in 2015. My nephew, black, a boy. The likelihood of being adopted outside of kinship, slim to none. Armani, 16 years old, black, a boy with five years in the foster care system before I even knew his name. The likelihood of ever being adopted? Yep, you guessed it, slim to none. While Ladarian and Armani were trying to survive and barely thrive in an overpopulated and underfunded foster care system, I was living my own life, doing well professionally. Having been a single father with a daughter who at that point was doing well in college, it was my time to live my life, right? Wrong. I felt unsettled, 
tireless, agitated. There are just too many of our black children stuck in ambiguity and in the limbo of the foster care system. In 2017, I legally adopted my nephew, Ladarian. Fast forward to 2019, I had no ties to this other young king, but I felt God instructed me to adopt him also, and I obeyed. Starting over with parenting should have been enough, right? Working with various foster care and adoption agencies to help bring awareness to the countless young black kings in the foster care system should have decreased my agitation, right? Joining the board of directors of Advantage Adoption, an organization that helps find permanent adoptive homes for children in foster care should have led to some type of resolve, right? No, not at all. None of it felt like I had done enough. I now realize that every one of those experiences was laying the fundamental foundation for my life's mission, Kingdom Royale. Kingdom Royale will be a luxury, state-of-the-art home for foster boys. Our first location will be in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We will utilize the whole person approach that instills identity, empowers them to advocate for themselves, and enlightens them regarding new perspectives and limitless options that they thought were impossible. Though the young kings will attend the local public schools that are in proximity to Kingdom Royale, our at-home curriculum will broaden their worldview through participating in the arts, attending various cultural events, learning about and engaging in multifaceted discussions about current events and even relevant historical contexts, introducing them to gardening and landscaping and even caring for our animals on our farm and on-site stables. We just launched our startup capital campaign with the goal of raising $2.8 million. Now, why $2.8 million? Well, in 2017, I created a web series in which I performed random acts of kindness for targeting the homeless community. One of the most notable successes was that one of the videos went viral, garnering 28 million views. However, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't raise a single dollar to help in implementing a more sustainable plan for the homeless community. So throughout the years, with much remorse. I reflected on not maximizing that moment. I knew if at that time, just 10% of the viewers donated $1, we would have raised at least $2.8 million that could have really established long-term support for the homeless community, or at least started a long-term initiative to do so. This is my do-over. This is our new beginning. Together, we can attack this at the root by specifically helping our homeless black boys who are already disproportionately represented in the American foster care system. I'm LaTaris R. Whitfield. I've been nominated for three regional Emmys documenting my work with the homeless as well as my personal adoption journey. Despite those accolades, the greatest award for me is truly providing the infrastructure for a transformed life. Visit KingdomRoyale.com for more details. Crown a king and make a donation today. One thing I love about this podcast is I'm always keeping lit. Uh, Amber and I went out a couple of times back in, um, that was a couple of years ago, but neither one of us was in the place of having anything serious. Uh, she was focused on career. I was still healing, and uh, it was so great that she and I have been able to stay connected and be friends, and, and that's what I'm talking about. If you date properly, there won't be any bad blood. 
And so um, we were always honest with each other, and I'm so excited about what she's doing and accomplishing. So those in Dallas County, go out and vote. Here's my favorite part of the podcast where I speak to my future wifey. Dear future wifey, justice, just us. Can't wait for the day we'll receive justice for our heartbreaks and our beautiful restitution is just us. Just you and me. You are the personification of God's faithfulness. You are the one manifestation of his goodness and mercy. I'll fight for you and not with you. I'll defend your honor. I'll encourage you to become all God has called you to be. You are the epitome of elegance and class. You are everything I wanted and so much more. Strike the gavel. Court is adjourned. Case closed. I found you. Your future hubby. Thank you for listening to the Dear Future Wifey podcast. Remember, be lit. Live intentionally and transparently. And don't stop loving. Make sure to subscribe to our Dear Future Wifey YouTube channel. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We welcome your support. Simply share our podcast with your friends and family.